Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hello again, ladies and gents. Today I have a very cool diabetes sponsor I'd like to tell you about, Companion Medical, specifically the Companion Medical InPen. When I talk to people who use multiple daily injections to treat their diabetes, one of the things that often comes up is the lack of data they're able to see about dosing, daily insulin totals, etc. In fact, Companion Medical discovered that only 7% of people who use insulin are using insulin pump therapy to control their diabetes. So Companion Medical decided to bring pump benefits to insulin pen users with the InPen. The InPen is an FDA-cleared smart insulin pen and app that gives patients the tools to manage their multiple daily injections. The InPen is compatible with the Lilly and Novolog pre-filled insulin cartridges and single-use disposable needles. Those are not included with the InPen, but that is what is compatible with it. Using the information transmitted from the pen itself, the Companion Medical app can track insulin therapy, calculate doses, share data with your doctor and family right on your smartphone. The best part is the InPen is covered as a pharmacy benefit under most insurance plans. Currently, you pay no more than $35 for the InPen with a special copay assistance program. So, if you're on multiple daily injections or just thinking about taking a break from your pump therapy and don't want to lose all the features that come with using a pump, talk to your doctor about Companion Medical InPen and visit companionmedical.com for more information. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. Today, my special guest, who has been on the podcast a couple times, she was on last year at the end of 2018, and then uh, again as a part of Tools of Type 1s, my good friend Christelle Oram, who is half of the brain trust behind DiabetesStrong.com with her husband Tobias. She and I are going to get a little bit into what she's doing these days in terms of diabetes management as well as exercise and i know for those of you who follow her on social media she is starting her diabetes strong challenge at the beginning of the year so be sure to check out diabetesstrong.com to learn more about how you can start off your new year with better fitness goals and diabetes management so without further ado i present the great and awesome good friend of mine christelle Oram. welcome back to another episode of the diabetics doing things podcast I'm your host, Rob Howe. We're still telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world. My very special guest today, Christelle Oram. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Thank you for having me. Uh, of course. Always a pleasure. And this is obviously, you and I have you know gotten to be good internet friends over the years and also get to hang out in person <laughs> from time to time. So it's always good to have a, f- a friendly face, uh, somebody that I actually know on the podcast. Makes me more comfortable. I can joke around. Okay. So get ready for some <laughs> jokes and some fun. Um, and for those that uh, that don't know you, I, we always start a diagnosis. So let's let's hear the story. Let's go. Let's dive into it. My little diagnosis story. Yeah. Well, um, I was diagnosed in nineteen in ninety seven. So this was December of ninety seven. So we're coming up on what twenty two years. Um, so it's a long time ago. Um, basically. It, 
It's interesting because my, my diagnosis story, it's not super dramatic in the sense I didn't go into DKA, anything like that. I did show all the classical symptoms, like I had to go to the restroom all the time. I, I was drinking a lot of water, so explaining it through that. that um, I fell asleep all the time, explained that with being 19 and partying a whole lot and you know working two jobs. So everything could just be explained until like uh, one, again, it was December, so it was the holidays, so we doing a family. And, and some of my family was like, you know, this is not normal. And you're like napping between between courses, pretty much. This is not normal. Please go see a doctor. And I went and saw my primary care, and he gave me a long speech about eating right, getting my sleep, blah, 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 saying that to a 19-year-old, right? And then he's like, but, you know, let's just measure your blood sugar. So he did that in the, you know, in his office. And he's like, so you have diabetes. And he might have explained more about it. I don't remember. I think a lot of times when you get sort of big news that you don't quite understand, you don't necessarily listen. So I just know that I left his office with a diagnosis of diabetes and I grew up in Denmark. So I was on my bicycle home thinking, oh my God, I've been handed a death sentence. I am, you know, I don't know what this diabetes thing is, but I'm clearly dying. And so of course that wasn't optimal. Um, Biked home. Luckily, my mom was home. She's a nurse. She understood diabetes way better than I did <laughs> and could explain it to me and, you know, got me settled down. Going, You're not dying. And then we went and saw a specialist the week after. And I think that's something, Rob, you and I have talked about before is, that, you know, who are the first people you interact with or which what do the medical, you know, professionals you meet tell you when you get diagnosed? Right. right. So my that doctor didn't really tell no. me a whole lot. Um, but when I then got to the clinic that Monday after with my mom, I got assigned this awesome diabetes nurse. She was like a pediatric nurse. I don't know. I was 19. It was with a kid. But I was still in the, in the pediatric section. And she was just she was just awesome in the sense that um, her name was Lada. Still is, I think. Um, and she was like, well, you, you know, this sucks, but you can do anything you want. And I think just having that instilled really, really from the get-go um, has been really helpful. She was the one, so basically when I was 19, the reason why I was working two jobs was I was trying to save up money to go traveling. I wanted to like backpack around India. Right. So I was saving up money for that. And then I got this diagnosis in December and I'm like, you know, can I go? And a lot of us just like, of course you're going. So within a year of my diagnosis, so that's fall after, I backpacked through India with a friend for three months. So. I think if she hasn't been like, of course you're going, I probably, I probably wouldn't have, or maybe I would, I don't know. But anyway, having somebody who early on has positive influence and a positive outlook on how you can live, live happily with diabetes, I think that's really, really powerful. And that's interesting. I think, you know, you and I, obviously, we, you mentioned that we've talked about this before. You've been on this podcast. I did just confirm you were also on Tools of Type 1s. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Fast forwarding to today, well, A, I guess my, my experience is very similar. I was 16, so probably not really a ped uh, from a pediatric standpoint, but I had a pediatric endocrinologist until I went to college, and he and I are still friends today, um, cool. which has been cool to interact with him on the adult side. But uh, how important is it, and obviously we've, we've talked about, you know, having someone other than your doctor, other than your parents in a lot of cases that, you know, tells you everything's going to be okay. You mm-hmm. are that for people some, in some cases today. Um, 
do you take any of that experience of, you know, the positivity and the encouragement that you received from from your nurse that, you know, do you take that, does that in, influence how you talk to people who are newly diagnosed when you reach, when they reach out or they, you know, contact you through the website or whatever the case is? Um, well, it's interesting because I think a lot of my approach to diabetes, because you mentioned being positive and thank you for that, <laughs> because I do try to like, I think diabetes is a pain in the butt in so many, in so many ways, but there's also a lot of positive things, you know, it might suck, but there are things we can do. So it sucks less. Um, so it, it's one of those things. So whenever I have a conversation, whether or not it's, you know, newly diagnosed or actually people who have been diagnosed for a long time, it's always about, well, you know, I hear you and where can, how can, where, what can we do from wherever you're at? If it's a newly diagnosed or often it's active parents reaching out saying, you know, I was so scared that my, my kid wouldn't be able to, you know, be active when they grow up. And then I see, you know, you being active on social media on the website and that really gives me hope for my child. So that's one way of sort of showing that there's nothing we can't do. And then there's people reach out to me going like, well, I'm in a, I'm in a place right now where I'm frustrated or diabetes is hindering me in doing things, right? And if it's that kind of question I get, I, I often go into problem solving mode because that's how my brain works. But it's always, I think it's always important that when somebody reaches out and if they are struggling, say, you know what? I hear you, I, I hear that you're struggling. I would never, you know, not think that people are struggling or not acknowledge that, but it's also, well, how can you move from there? Right. Not a, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that, but I can tell people what I do. Well, and, right. I, and I think... So in the sense that... Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's interesting as well, because there's been a lot of rhetoric, at least that I've been exposed to recently, where, um, you know, circumstances of which diabetes is one that's like a negative circumstance. Um, positivity is not always, you know, all you need. I think that there's in, in some cases a lot of people that spread information about if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take ownership and, uh, and go forward, everything's going to be okay. But I do think it goes a long way, especially with diabetes, because something I've been thinking about and chewing on lately is mm-hmm. diabetes makes you better at failure because... Mm-hmm you fail often, like all the time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every day. Uh, it's not critical failure. Uh, yeah. It's not permanent failure, but you got to bounce back from something that often doesn't go the way that you planned. Um, and like you said, you know, there's, there's often, you know, recognizing the struggle is a huge part of it. Diabetes does suck. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, what problem can I solve? Um, so f- for you, I guess... Um, how do you start approaching those problems, especially when maybe they're not your problems or either something for, I'll give you an example. Um, a woman reached out to me, a parent of a, of a young type one who's been recently diagnosed who plays basketball. So of course Mm -hmm. she reaches out to me. I'm the guy that plays basketball. Um, and I'm like, yes, this is perfect. This is my wheelhouse. And she says, my son is honeymooning. He's only been diagnosed for a month. Um, and we're having a lot of lows during basketball practice. And I was like, you know what? Sounds like you guys have diabetes. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> oh, this, nice. yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, at that point, you know, for me, I kind of laughed and, and, and I realized also that, 
this is the first experience trying to overcome a big challenge for this family. And what they're realizing is exactly what anyone who's lived with diabetes for you know a considerable amount of time realizes is that everything that you do is going to have some sort of change or challenge. Uh, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to approach it in the same way, kind of an open mind, being willing to experiment and also willing to fail. So how do you implement that type of mentality when you're either coaching or you're you know, dealing with diabetes in your daily life? Um, you know, how do you kind of overcome that diabetes sucks kind of mentality? <laughs> um, well, let's say it's around exercise just because that's what we're both passionate about. Yeah, that's what, what we do. That's about. who we are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, for, I often talk about, so anybody who's read any of my stuff know I often talk about finding a formula for exercise and diabetes, right? So I always talk about finding patterns um, and figuring you out. So I would say my approach to it is, first of all, you need structure in order to figure out what the heck is going on. So let's say that you, the boy that you mentioned, he tends to go low. So now he's honeymooning, that's one scenario. In a month or a year or whatever, he might not be honeymooning anymore. It's a completely different scenario. Um, but what I always tell people is try and create structure or try and look for trends within sort of whatever framework you're in right now. So let's say that you work out every morning, you go for a run. Well, try and look at the different variables. So you're running in the morning, you are, you know, maybe you have eaten, maybe you have not. How much insulin on board do you have? IOB, you know, are you hydrated, et cetera. Look at those different variables and then look at the runs over a series of time. And then you can start making changes so they can figure out to do that run without crazy blood sugars. I want to re, actually, yeah, you should dial back. Reducing the risk of crazy blood sugars for that run, right? So it's about, finding those formulas for your runs, acknowledging that you can only reduce the risk, you can never eliminate it because there's gonna be days where you don't have full information, where you might be more or less hydrated and maybe you didn't sleep well, et cetera. And one of the key things I always tell people is while you're trying to figure that out, and that's back to your point, is acknowledge that you're, gonna, you're not gonna get it right. You're not gonna get it right right off the bat you're not gonna go right every time, and that's okay. It's okay to have crappy blood sugars. I would say it's okay as long as we learn from it. And then there's those one-offs, like ones in a blue moon, where we have no clue whatsoever why something happened, and sometimes we just have to say, okay, that was weird, and then move on. Um, but well, I would definitely, that that's kind of my approach. And I think, you know, for, for those listening who are, are nodding their heads, as I was while you were talking, what are some of the variables that you try to control in your own life? Like, just for example, going to the gym. Let's uh, mm-hmm. kind of break down your workout routine for us. My workout routine. So I always work, in the a- work out in the AM. Um, I am usually, I'm one of those, I really love being at the gym and it works for me. So I go there maybe five times a week and do some sort of structured workout. So for me, knowing, and I assume you're looking for how I manage my blood sugars around it. Yes, of course. Uh, Yes. So what I always, what I look for is what kind of workout am I doing? Is it something that's more cardio-ish, meaning that my heart rate is fairly high throughout the workout? That would be for simple workouts. I like resistance training. So if I do higher reps, maybe a lot of supersets, meaning very little rest. I'm basically running around the gym like crazy. 
those might be a little more cardio-ish, meaning my heart rate stays up for like stays high for the whole workout, but it doesn't ever like go crazy high. So that kind of workout, I would expect a drop in blood sugars for the most part because it's what we call aerobic exercise, right? Versus another kind of workout where I might go in and then lift heavy, maybe I only do six to eight reps. That means my heart rate comes really high up and then I rest for maybe two minutes between sets, my heart rate comes down. So that kind of workout, technically called an anaerobic workout, can actually spike blood sugars for some part. For me, it usually doesn't usually spike my blood sugars, but I definitely won't see a drop. So that's kind of like the first piece of knowledge, right? Is knowing that different kinds of workouts will generally impact my blood sugars and not just mine, generally impact people living with diabetes, blood sugars differently. Um, so I always have a plan. I know what I'm doing. Let's say, you know, tomorrow I'm gonna go do a higher rep workout. It's gonna be more cardio-ish. I always eat before my workouts. So what I do is I manage my insulin that I take with that meal, depending, so I'll dial it down a little bit for those days where I do something that's more cardio-ish to reduce the risk of going low. While as for the lower rep workouts, those where my heart rate goes really high and then come down, those I, I'll do a full bolus because I know those kinds of workouts won't really, you know, for the most part, won't make my blood sugars drop. So putting it all together, know what you're doing in the sense of which kind of workout are you doing? How will it generally impact your blood sugar? And you might need to test it out like if, at least three times to sort of get an idea, get a pattern. It's like one data point is not really a pattern. Um, and then start to fiddle, let's say fiddle, and start to fiddle with how much insulin do you need on board in order to successfully complete your workout without going crazy high or low. And I make it sound like it's easy. It's not. It does <laughs> just, take time, right? Complete... It takes practice, right? It's it's one of those things that we need to tweak and we need to be on it. Um, and it does require planning and that is annoying. But again, if we want to, you know, if we want to be able to do a lot of things that people without diabetes just go do, which is we need to plan. And it kind of comes um, back to, you know, what you said where, uh, you know, your, your nurse told you, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, diabetes is not going to stop you from doing it. My doctors gave me that sort of caveat of, they said, you know, everything that you want for your life is still within reach as long as you take care of your diabetes. And so that's sort of a nebulous statement that encompasses a lot of things, but sometimes that's planning you know, marking things down in a journal or just on a, mm -hmm. you know, on your phone, um, learning, like you said, uh, one time is not a pattern, you know, recognizing patterns. Um, mm -hmm. Something that I was curious about while you were talking about how different workouts affect your blood sugars, how, how far ahead in advance of you going to the gym every day do, do you have, uh, do you know what workout you're going to do by the time you get there? Or does that dependent on some of the variables like, uh, like glucose, blood glucose or insulin on board or fasting, or if you've already had a meal, how, do, how does that factor into everything? Or is it, Hey, my blood sugar is this, that means I'm going to do a workout like this. So I'm a notorious planner. So <laughs> I plan out everything. I know which workouts I do, which day I have it all. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> I have it all like written up. So I definitely know what I plan on doing. 
some days that doesn't ping out for whatever reason, most often blood sugar related. I didn't need a cough here. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so basically that means that for the most part, I know that Tuesday's leg day, Wednesday's upper body day. So here we go. Right. But if I go to the, if I show up gym and for some reason I miscalculated, or this is just one of those days where you like scratch your head, go like, what the heck? Um, I'll adapt. So if I get to the gym and my blood sugar is trending too high, I might decide to like jump on a cardio equipment and do 20 minutes of cardio before I start my weights just to get my blood sugar down. So I sometimes use that tool. Other times I'll just go, huh, that was weird. Inject more insulin and go do my workout. Right. Um, but generally everything is planned out. And I would say in regards to given, I know what I'm doing. I kind of know what time I'm going. And as I told you before, I always eat beforehand. I eat beforehand for two reasons, not self reasons. I'm hungry. That's one. Um, I always feel like when people go like, should I eat, should I not eat in regards to diabetes? I'm like, are you hungry? <laughs> Does hmm. it help with your performance? So those things that, I mean, we don't have to do everything just in the name of diabetes. We can also just do things because we feel like it or it's good for, you know, whatever we want to do. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I eat beforehand because I'm hungry, usually in the AM. I eat because it helps me perform better in the gym which I am focused on. And thirdly, actually I find that it helps with my blood sugars because if I don't eat, I need a fairly large amount of insulin to get through a workout. So this sounds counterintuitive, but basically what's happening is one thing is that if I fast in the morning for a prolonged amount of time, my blood sugars will start to rise more than they usually do simply because my, my, well, my body's trying to help me out, right? So I'll get more of a liver dump um, of glucose throughout the mid-morning. I also get more and more insulin resistant throughout the morning. I haven't found any research on why the heck that's going on, but some, like my endo said, maybe it's because stress hormones, if I don't eat and work out, that's possible. So that means from a blood sugar perspective, there's actually a benefit for me in eating and injecting insulin before my workouts. I hope that made sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, and how much I give, again, that depends on which kind of workout I've planned out. Um, I usually do, as I said, a full, I do have like a one to 10 carb ratio in the morning. So I do a full bolus for, you know, those heavier days. And if there's a cardio component, I'll usually dial it down like uh, half to a whole unit. And you hear me talking about half and whole units because I use insulin. I use an insulin pen so I can, I can only dial up and down half a unit. I can't like you guys on pumps do all the way down to the nitty gritty. Right. To the 10th of a unit or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Hundredth of a unit, I suppose. Uh, what, what do you use to treat, uh, you know, you mentioned pens. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you use to treat your uh, or inject with your pens? So I use a smart pen, which is brilliant. Uh, I use the in pen. I have a pretty pink one. Um, so it's it's one of those things that you actually heard me talk about IOB quite a few times, insulin active. Well, it's active insulin on board, but IOB insulin on board, which basically just means how much of the ins rapid acting insulin you injected is still active in your system. And of course, you know this, but just for those sure. listening who don't. Well, and um, I think it's important too, because uh, even before I have my new pump, my Medtronic 670G, like my older pumps had active insulin timing as well. Um, 
you know, before I called it IOB, I called it active insulin, I suppose. Um, and it, to me, you know, people who aren't on pump technology kind of miss out or they don't, uh, they may not have ever even heard of insulin on board. They, they know it yeah. as a, as a concept, I'm sure, cause they know their bodies, but to be able to see it in like an app, for example, with the N pen, mm-hmm. um, that just allows you more data to be able to act on or make decisions based on, right? Basically, I had a friend yesterday, I went out yesterday and we were talking about my pen. And, you know, people with diabetes getting together, we talk about our gear. <clears throat> um, and she was like, ah, oh, it's like a pump just without the tubing, uh, which I thought was pretty neat. So she said my in-pen was like a pump just without the tubing because basically what the in-pen does is the in-pen will, um, when, when I inject insulin, it will automatically Bluetooth how much I took over to the in-pen app that I have on my phone. That means it automatically records how many units I take of my rapid acting insulin. It will then also track, well, how much of that is left. So that's your IOB. So IOB is generally, I set mine to four hours. Generally, a rapid acting insulin is thought to be like active in the body from three to five hours. I chose four, um, like nice average. Um, so it keeps track of that. So basically, it just does the math. If I took two units two hours ago, it's like, okay, there should be about one unit left. And yes, I can do that math, but let's say that I took three or four units within the last uh, three or four injections within the last four hours. You know, first of all, can I remember when I took them? Can I remember how much I took? And then I have to do the math. Um, so that's one thing. It also has a bolus calculator, which most pumps does. So that means that um, I have my carb ratios, I have my uh, insulin sensitivity and all that in in the app. And I can just go in and say, okay, my blood sugar is, let's say it's, let's say I caught a unicorn, let's say it's 100. And I type in, okay, let's say it's 100, then it will tell me to not take any insulin because that's my target range. But if I then say, okay, and I just ate, I'm going to eat 30 grams of carbs. So assuming there's no other IOB, it'll calculate, you know, I told you before that my carb range is 1 to 10. It'll calculate, well, you should take three units. But let's say that I already taken insulin within the last four hours, it will automatically subtract, you know, the active insulin right. and help me calculate. So it, it basically helps with stacking, which is something I think most people on MDI are scared of. So stacking is when you take exactly that, more units, more injections within the four hours. Um, and that's when we all of a sudden, if you don't keep track of how many units we take in the last four hours, all of a sudden you can end up with having a lot of insulin on board. And that's like recipe for disaster most well, often. And I think that, I think there's a lot of fear and anxiety around that, but there's also, mm-hmm. you know, the there's no way to track on a manual pen whether or not you gave an injection. And I think most people can relate to occasionally wondering if they gave themselves a dose or not. So oh you're able gosh. to go back yeah. in the app and, and check <laughs> it, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's the other neat thing about the app that I've also have a reminder for my basal. Um, so... Again, being MDI, I take both basal and rapid acting insulin. And for some reason, even after 22 years, I can still forget to take my basal insulin, um, which is silly, but it happens. Sounds human so. to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. But I mean, it, it's it's a really really neat tool. What I like about it is is you know there are other tools out there. Um, for people on MDI, but this is the first one that's FDA approved and that's everything in one. So it's, yeah, it's definitely 
helpful and is definitely a step forward. And I don't think for some reason there's a lot of attention on, you know, product development for, for pumpers, which is great. It's just, it's nice to see that there finally is some focus on us on it, who thrive on MDI. Well, and um, I think it makes up a large percentage of the diabetes population as a whole. Um, it does. You know, I was, I was talking with some, you know, I work pretty closely with Medtronic and I think they shared some data with me that something like only 30% of people with type one diabetes are on a pump. And I I found that, and again, don't quote me on that. It was somewhere around that range. It was a lower percentage than I would have guessed. And even smaller percentage of people are on CGM. So CGM obviously is growing very rapidly, but you've worn a pump in your life before, right? I have, yeah. And but you prefer the the, I guess mobility and just like, uh, freedom that that MDI provides. Well, I didn't I didn't mind the tubing to be honest. So I, I try to tube pump. I, it, that wasn't my issue. And it's actually it's one of those things that just there's hardly anyone speaking up. Let's say speaking up for MDI, um, in the community. I'm kind of one of the only ones. And I've actually had quite a few people reach out to me and say, "Wow, it's it's nice to know that." you can do well on MDI and that it can be okay to choose that solution. And I'm like, of course it's okay to choose that solution. But a lot of people feel like, you know, they get pressured by the medical professional or the community in general that, you know, if you're not on a pump, you're not doing your best, which I completely disagree with. Um, I also for... agree with that. I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I don't think it has anything to do with performance as much as it does preference. Exactly. And this is all about, this is about choice, right? It's about, this is something that we have to deal with every second of our 24 hours, right? So it's really important that you find what's right for you. I tried the pump. What I actually think pump technology is brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I wanted to love it. My problem is the insulin. My problem with it was that rapid acting insulin, as you know, as we just talked about, last three or four hours in the body. So I found out wearing a pump, having rapid acting insulin as my basal was not optimal. So that was actually my issue. It was not the technology, it was the insulin. Because having rapid acting insulin going 24 seven just made my life very hard. And this again was, was my experience. Because what it would, the, the difference on MDI is I take a basal insulin that hardly gets impacted by exercise. That means fasted morning cardio, for example, is not a problem for me. I don't have to do anything. On a pump, I would have to, you know, set a temp basal maybe two to three hours before, and I would have to suspend. To me, it was just it was more work than upside. But again, that's me. I coach plenty of people on pumps, because I do understand them. I think it's brilliant technology, and for a lot of those people, pumps is the best solution for them. Yeah, and and I think so. you know what's interesting now, and I was having this discussion. You know, you and I were part of a you know marketing advisory council in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. one of the things that you know came out of that for me is that for people with diabetes now and in the future, there's so many tools that used to not be available. There's inhalable insulin. There's um, you know, SLGLT2 inhibitors. I just butchered that acronym. But, uh, you know, there's 
you know, different oral medication. There's, um, you know, different pumps, different sites, different uh, hybrid closed loop. There's looping. There's, uh, you know, CGMs that last for 90 days and, and, and now up to 180 days in some cases. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're all, they're all some variants of the same thing, but preference is now in the forefront and also supplementation. Um, you know, I know people that wear pumps for the basal, uh, mm-hmm. and inject boluses um, with, via pins or, or syringe because they find the absorption is more effective. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting kind of, to kind of see the balances and the different ways that people are evolving their care to fit what they you know, think works best for them. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, I actually just had this question, I think, yesterday on the website so people can ask questions and somebody actually commented on, I wrote a post at one point about why I choose MDI or a pump, which is boiled down basically what I told you like a minute ago. And this guy, he was, he came on, he's like, this really made me think, you know, I'm now thinking about doing exactly what you say, you know, using my pump just for boluses and then doing a basal for my basal. Do you think that will work? I'm like, why not try it out? Of course, you need to talk to a medical team and you need to get their backup well, not that back up, actually. You need to get their expertise. Um, and then just try and find that solution that works for you. Obviously, also needs to work for your insurance company. But, sure. you know, if yeah. you can figure it out, why not? Let me ask you about that, too, because I'm, I'm, going, I'm going through an interesting endo journey right now. I guess I'll, I haven't really shared this on the podcast, so I'll kind of dive into it a little bit. So I haven't had an endocrinologist for 10 years or so. Um, huh because I have a really great primary care physician. I see her every six months. She was up on all my prescriptions and everything, and it was fine. Um, in some changes in her practice, and um, you know, she wasn't really able to give, uh, it's a long story, I guess. She told me, she's like, hey, Rob, you need to get an endocrinologist. I don't really have the time to spend with you anymore from a care perspective other than just your general physical. And I was like, cool, I'll go find that. But. I hadn't been to one in so long, I, you know, I had a little bit of like, I, I didn't have a great relationship with my second endocrinologist, the one that I had when I was in college. I just, you know, we had different ideas of what, uh, you know, life should be like. Um, and also she was just an older lady and she and I just had different opinions. But uh, I, I got, I have this new endocrinologist that I really like and my relationship with him is cool. And he like kind of sees, meets me where I, where I am. Uh, and understands that I'm very vocal and very, you know, in the forefront of diabetes community and diabetes knowledge. I, I feel very fortunate to be there. And, and he and I have a, a good, have started what I think would be a really great relationship. What's, you know, as, as we're talking about, you know, treatment preferences, and you mentioned uh, earlier that, you know, many people you talk to have had pumps Put on, pushed on them for whatever narrative by their medical providers. What's your relationship with your endo like? Um, and, you know, with regards to, uh, you know, your treatment and experimenting with different things. And, you know, as you mentioned, talking to your medical provider, how have you had found that experience over the years? So I have an amazing endo. Um, I've had the same endo since I moved to Los Angeles back in 2011. I just, was lucky to stumble on on her basically I think she was recommended by someone um, and I think she's one of the best ones in the country for sure I, I, what I love about her is first of all I would say if you when you choose your medical team and I say you choose your medical 
medical team because I believe our medical teams work for us. We're our team, but they still work for us. Um, when you choose your team, if you can, of course, if you live in a city like Los Angeles, you have more options than if you live in a tiny town in the Midwest. I realize that. But choose one that fits your personality. My endo is very data-driven. She's very solution-oriented, which fits perfectly with my personality and how I, I manage my diabetes. If I needed more, let's say, emotional support, she probably wouldn't be the right one. Because I, I don't think that's in her wheelhouse, to be honest. And I'm not looking for that from her, so that's fine. Um, so I'd say find one that, that fits what your needs are. And with her, it's brilliant because I, I would say I'm fairly well informed of what's going on in the diabetes space. So I usually bring ideas to her. I'm like, I want to try this. And I haven't had her say that is an awful idea <laughs> anytime, which is good. I've had her say, I don't think you need to fine tune more than you are. But if that's really what you want to do, um, she supports it, right? So she's pretty good at also sometimes telling you, hey, you don't need to fine tune more than you do. And sometimes um, but, you need to hear that, right? You need to be like, hey, you're doing enough. This is yeah. what it is. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, no, she's just, she's the right one for me. If I needed something else, I would go out and find somebody else, to be honest. I mean, again, for the starting, <laughs> for starting pump therapy at one point, I, I didn't even consult her. I just did. I would not recommend that to anyone on the call. <laughs> I would not recommend that. Uh, I just happened to have a pump. It's like, oh, I'm just going to start myself on pump therapy. Why not? Um, again, I have a lot of background knowledge. I worked for a pump company in the past. So I'm, I would say I'm very well educated in, in, in pumping. Um, so I would say that's my relationship with her. I pretty much just do. Well, and I think, you know, like you said, you have made your medical team work for you. And, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, if you needed anything else, you would feel confident going out and finding it. Yeah. But, and it's also about, you know, knowing, again, knowing what you need. So I can tell you my, share my last uh, appointment. I had been struggling with blood sugars that were weird. My basal had gone up like substantially. I kept, Felt like I kept throwing, you know, insulin at the big fire that just never got smaller. And I was like, what the heck? I tried. I know all the reasons for why this could be happening. And I couldn't really put my finger on why it was going on. And I came into the office and she's like, oh, how are you? And we always chat. And I'm like, I'm tired. And she got all quiet. She's like, it's the first time in all the time I've seen you since 11 that I've heard you, you know, express that about your diabetes. So let's fix this. And just having somebody, you know, look at you, go like, she's like, your, your A1C is the best it's been in a long time. So that's clearly not the issue. But I also realize that when you say you're tired, it means that something is going on. Um, because I was tired and I was frustrated. So what, what basically the solution was pretty simple. It ended up being, she's like, well, did you change, you know, the pen? Because the pen could have gone bad. I'm like, yes, I did change the pen. I changed the pen to another pen in the same box. She's like, huh, have you tried changing the whole box? I was like, no. 
in the last 22 years, I've never had a whole box gone, gone bad. So I never, that thought just hadn't crossed my mind. I came home, I switched, I got a, got a new box of pens. I switched to the new one and my problems disappeared. So that box was bad and my endo basically just needed to, you know, hear me and suggest that small change. So that was a long story. It was, but I think, you know, sometimes really complex problems have simple solutions and they just require the perspective of somebody else. Yeah. But, and I mean, yes, it was important to me that that thing got solved, but it was even more important that she's like, you know, I hear you, even though all your numbers are good. I hear that we need to make some changes, right? Even if that's just starting a new box of pens. With that in mind. So happy with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, with that in mind, and, you know, we've talked a lot about, we've gotten, this has been a little bit more of a clinical chat than I normally have, which is actually refreshing. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, as I look to, you know, this time of year to me, and it might just be because I'm American and it's like we have these holidays and we take all the time off and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I always try to refocus. I, I condense or collect what I, what I, what's happened over the year, what I've learned, uh, you know, what I, what I would do different, uh, and then how, you know, what do I want to work on going into the next year, both in my like professional, personal life, but also from a diabetes perspective. Uh, when you look at, you know, going into 2020, starting a new decade with diabetes, um, what do you what do you look at looking to focus on? It could be with your own treatment, with uh, projects in the community, or for Diabetes Strong. What do you what are you focused on? Wow, that's a big question. Just like to throw at me. Um, it is. I'm on. I am unfair. This, but this is my show, so I can just like be unfair sometimes. You know. That is totally true. It is your show. Uh, I think from a personal perspective, I just want to continue being happy. I've been fortunate especially this year to just generally be happy with what I'm doing with, you know, the website, with my relationship, also with how my diabetes is managed. I'm really happy with the care solution I have right now with the in-pen, with my use of Dexcom, with the insulins I use. Um, so that would be my goal to, you know, personal goal is to continue that stride and continue to enjoy it. And sometimes I pinch myself, which is good. It just means that I'm like, I'm trying to just really enjoy being happy right now. And for actually for a website perspective is that we are, I'm right now working on more products for the site in the sense that, you know, the website is like a free site. Everybody can go there. You can enjoy all the information you want on diabetesstrong.com. But I am trying to put together more, when I say products, like more eBooks. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So I've been asked, I only have one ebook on there. Had that for a long time. As you, as you know, I don't really push products because I just it's just not in my nature. Yeah. I'm not a good salesperson. Um, but I've been keeping asking, you know, how about a cookbook? How about more workouts and stuff like that? So, me and my partner, we we're definitely looking into that. Yes, people want it. We're gonna give it. Yeah, more diabetes strong. That's that's good for the world. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And just you know, continue pushing out content on a weekly basis that actually helps people. It's it's one of those things I I feel like the diabetes community is amazing. I think there's still a lot of things that doesn't get talked about enough. Um like what for example? Well, 
just the other day, I posted about something as sexy as yeast infections. Nice. And it's, it's a very sexy topic, very. But the amount of feedback I got was overwhelming and it was so positive because there was a lot of, especially women who's like, oh my God, nobody's ever talking about it. And it's actually really, it can be a really big issue for women living with diabetes. Um, and I think some of those things, it's just important to get out there also so that people know that, first of all, they're not alone. This also happens to others. And this is what we can do about it. Um, so I'm not just taking on the charge for all the unsexy subjects, which <laughs> but some of them at least, you know, let's just talk about it. Yeah, and I think like removing the stigma from that too. Um, you know, people, helping people, like you said, can be kind of, again, a very nebulous uh, topic, but people need help. They need to know real issues and they need people to kind of walk them through it and let them know that they're normal. Yeah, exactly. But it's also just, and sometimes, you know, on social media, just showing a picture of illustrating that, you know, well, we all know that vacuuming is hell for blood sugars, unless you really want them to drop. So just sharing that can give a sense of um, community, community, I guess, for the yeah. community, in the sense that, you know, okay, it's not just me. It's not just me. And also, you know, posting silly memes where we poke fun of why are the test strokes in my food or under my feet. Somebody the other day showed me a picture that she found a test strip in her eye patch, right <laughs> on the inside of her eye patch. It was one who said, yes, yeah, she found it in her fish fish bowl, like down, you know, on the bottom in the gravel. <laughs> and it's just some of those things where you can just laugh and we can all relate. And... Yes, diabetes sucks, but it doesn't have to be loom and gloom all the time. Yeah. I think we can laugh at those silly moments from time to time, too. Yeah. And I think just normalizing diabetes at a level, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I follow and am around some of the best people with diabetes that I know that I can find. And, you know, the Internet has given me that. Uh, but yeah. when I go to conferences, which I've done a lot of over the last two years, almost too much, but I enjoy those thoroughly to get in, to get face-to-face interactions with people because, as you know, you know, a lot of impressions and a lot of engagements, still, you know, a face-to-face interaction is the most quality impression. Mm-hmm. And, yep. But I go to these events and so many people that attend them, really their only point of contact with diabetes is the email chain with their JDRF chapter. And... Mm-hmm. Diabetes is not normalized in their everyday life. They think that they're alone. They think that nobody else is experiencing these things. And I see the light yeah. go on when I, you know, when I introduce or tell the stories of people in the community, like, oh, I, yeah, I know, I know that. I've experienced that. Just as mm-hmm. we all have uh, in our own way in the social media community, uh, you know, there's just a lot of people out there that need that message. And they don't even know that they need it. They're not even looking for it. And... Uh, so yeah, the more we can do to normalize it, uh, and the more content, the more the more people we can reach with fun and relatable and informative, and you know, talking about tough things, uh, the better off we're going to be. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's it's one of those things that you know, I I wasn't super vocal about my diabetes for a long time, just because I I thought it was a private thing. Um, and I worked in the so as I said, I mentioned before, I worked for a pump company at one point. And I remember, so pump companies tend to attract a lot of people with diabetes to work for them, just because you know we want to work in the diabetes space and whatever. Sure. 
And I remember having a conversation with another Taiwan and one of those, oh my gosh, it's not just me moments. I don't exactly remember what he was mentioning, but it's kind of like the vacuuming thing. And I just remember this feeling of, oh wow, you know, it's not just me. <laughs> There's others who go through the same thing. And I think just that feeling of, again, maybe it's belonging, I don't know, but it's, it's definitely feeling, hey, I'm not alone. I think that's extremely powerful. Well, I can vouch for it, and uh, you know, even more so on a, a very like personal and magnified level when I talk to you, because you and I, uh, I think we get along too well sometimes, and you know, we are very similar, <laughs> almost too alike. Uh, diabetes twins separated at birth, uh, so. I was about know, to say you're my baby brother. Yeah, that's close. me. <laughs> I just got taller. I don't know, um, but yeah, that's uh, you know, I think. It's just, it's enriched my life in ways that I, you know, it's hard to even articulate. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad that we get to have conversations like this. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade it. No, me neither. Thank you. Uh, no, thank you. And thanks for coming on the show again. Uh, and I apologize that I forgot you were on the show twice, not just once <laughs> before we got on the air. Uh, but this was super, super insightful. And I, I know that people are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Of course. Um, and your Diabetes Strong IG on Instagram, uh, obviously diabetesstrong.com. And uh, really looking forward to those new eBooks and, uh, and you know, uh, recipe guides. I got to see that cookbook. I got to see you oh, know, yeah. what, what you and Tobias have cooked up. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> I promise. I'll send you one. <laughs> oh, great. I can't wait. Uh, all right. We'll talk to you soon, Christelle, and uh, I'll see you around the bend. What's up, everybody? Just wanted to say thank you for listening to this podcast. It's been an amazing journey thus far, and I have a lot of really great stuff coming up in the future. Uh, so I'm going to do something that I haven't asked before. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, A, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast just so you get the notifications whenever we publish new episodes, because if you've been listening for a while, you know I don't always publish them consistently. Sometimes I'll pub. <clears throat> and if you like the podcast, be sure to go to your. And if you like the podcast, be sure to go to your preferred platform like iTunes and leave a review. I would love to boost my reviews, and I've never asked you guys to do that before. So I figured you don't ask, you don't get. I would love a review from you. So I want to hear from you there. Also, we are now available on Spotify. Turns out I was just submitting it to Spotify incorrectly, but I corrected that, so now we're on Spotify. So if that's your preferred listening platform, be sure to subscribe on there. Also, just want to let you know that in 2019, we have an awesome new program coming called Tools of Type 1s. It's going to be on this podcast, so you don't have to subscribe anywhere new, but it's going to be an entirely new form of programming with some of your favorite Type 1 personalities. So they're going to be two a week starting January 8th. Be sure to tune in, and I'm going to blast all the messaging I can all around. So be sure to listen to Tools of Type 1s launching January 8th, and thank you for continuing to listen to this podcast.